If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. I'm Alex Rorty. And I'm Andrea Dresch. And we're two political reporters here in D.C. who are going to do something radically different. We're not going to obsess about Donald Trump. That's right. Here at McClatchy, we have eyes and ears on the ground in 30 newsrooms across the country, keeping up with the voters who will determine this fall's election in November. Today, we're looking at the type of voter that Democrats think could deliver a blue wave this November. Terry Polis is a lifelong Republican and a former teacher who voted for Republican Kansas Congressman Kevin Yoder in 2016. I don't always agree with everything the president says or does, but I think tonight he really showed his presidential skills. She now says she regrets that decision. I could not have gotten a job. I would not have been hired if I had the same kind of background or reputation as Donald Trump. Polis says she voted this week for Sharice Davids, Yoder's Democratic opponent, and she voted early. Democrats seem to be more compassionate you know, don't kill the seals and save the earth. And Republicans are more like, um, you know, let's get a gun and hunt the seals. She joins us from Kansas. Polis joins a swath of former Republican voters who may be swept up in the blue wave. And Kansas, of all places, may be primed for a tsunami. We're also going to bring in our Kansas Whisperer colleague, Brian Lowry, to help us break down what this means in one of the hottest congressional races, as well as the rest of the House map this fall. All right, you ready, Andrea? Let's do it. So, Andrea, we're going to do something really radical today. We're going to talk to an actual voter. Do we do that? Is that is that something that political journalists in Washington do? No strategists, no operatives this week. We're going to go highly anecdotal, but for a good reason. For a good reason. And we're going to have on, to help us with this, because you and I can't do it alone, we're going to have on our Kansas whisperer, Brian Lowry, KC Star, DC correspondent to help us do the interview. Brian, thank you so much. (laughs) Brian, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I had a different job title last time I was on this show. (laughs) So, Brian, we're going to talk to a voter who I think is incredibly important for November 6th. Um, she is a basically a, a college-educated woman. Um, and sometimes we hate to break it down demographically like that, but that's where the Republicans are really struggling. And it's why someone like Kevin Yoder, who before this election you would have considered an entrenched Republican incumbent, is in so much trouble all of a sudden. He's won every election uh, by double digits since 2010. So he has always cruised to re-election, and this year he's in, he's in real danger. And it's not just in Kansas. It's really across the electoral map in 2018. These are the kind of voters that have really put Republicans on blast. So, Terry, thank you so much for joining the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So, Terry, it sounds like for most of your life, you've been a Republican voter. My my parents, though, when I, when I look back at it, it was, we weren't the Republicans of today. You know, we still believed in strong schools and we believed in uh, voting for taxes and, uh, you know, for mill, for levies and, um, for supporting the unions and uh, helping people. I'd like to say that I was uh, very politically savvy all my life, but uh, I probably lived my life in a, a, a cloud, you know, in a bubble. And things went well for me and went well for my family. And it wasn't until I realized that I think the first thing that really influenced me is as a teacher for 40 years, retired now, uh, and, it, and it really bothered me that here we have a man uh, who is, his whole life has been questionable, was elected a president. So the country started to look a little strange for me. Um, uh, I started feeling uh, almost like uh, the walking dead, you know? Like, 
it, it was just just a very very strange surreal uh, last two years, well three years since Donald Trump, uh, you know, got into the race. So uh, yeah, it was Donald Trump. Terry, this is Brian Lowry from the Star. So I understand yeah. you voted for Kevin Yoder two years ago. Did you I did. Con- you consistently vote for Kevin Yoder prior to this election? And- I, 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 yes, yes. I, I consistently voted for uh, Kevin Yoder, although I did vote for Dennis Moore, too, who was, well, I don't know, about 10 or 12 years before that as a representative here in this district. And I, I really felt that, uh, you know, Kevin Yoder was... Uh, going to be more of a moderate, you know, and he he talked a good game, and um, I still think he talks a good game, too, but I'm not sure if I believe what he's saying. And now he seems to be falling in line with the other Republicans whose only concern is to be elected, and they feel that unless they have the Trump base, obviously, uh, you know, Trump base is... Uh, the ones who are going to uh, re-elect Yoder, and uh, so he'll follow whatever Trump says, whether it's... uh, uh, (laughs) You know, reject it. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. why voting for him for the past eight years, you you finally you feel the need to vote for Sharice Davids this election? I do. Like what, I you, do. you could vote for him last election, but you can't this election. Yeah, and I think from uh, last election too. You know, when we were talking about uh, checks and balances in the government, I, I like that idea that you have a a balance between Republicans, Democrats, Independents, so that you know one branch of the government is overseeing the other branch and making sure things are um, all in the up and up. And I think that was another reason, too, to vote for uh, a Yoder, too. You brought up an interesting point. Is there anything about the Democratic Party that has made it hard for you to vote Democrat in the past? You know, I'm very pro-life. However, the older I get, the more I realize that being pro-life means a lot more than being anti-abortion. It means taking care of the least among us. It means being compassionate to those fleeing Latin American countries and coming to our borders. It means uh, granting citizenship in a responsible way to all those who seek asylum. But that was the one thing probably that kept me from the Democrat was uh, my own religious and moral belief in being against abortion. However, that kind of changed is changing. So... It has changed for me. But have you become um, more politically active this year? Do you have yard signs? Do you go to any organizing events? I am uh, been a lot more uh, politically active. I call and write. In fact, I have all copies. I have all the copies of my you know letters to Jerry Moran and Pat Roberts. Not that it's worked or Kevin Yoder on all the issues. And you know when it comes to the forefront, trying to be kind in my um, you know in my verbiage. Going back to Kevin Yoder, when you've written him letters, what has your response been from him? Has he responded to any of your letters? Or? I usually get canned responses. On my, you know, one of my last ones was about Kavanaugh, and I asked him to please, uh, even even though he was not directly responsible for, you know, it was the Senate. I still wanted him to publicly speak out that this was, you know, we needed to slow down and take a look at who this man was and what his background was, and and. Um, I get a canned letter back. So I, that's all I've gotten back from Roberts and um, Jerry Moran and uh, Kevin Yoder. Are there any Republicans who you are particularly impressed with right now, anyone you think is the future of the Republican Party? You know, I suppose there's a, you know, Ben Sass. I mean, I think he, and from Nebraska, I think he's got some uh, 
pizzazz there. We need to have a president who celebrates the First Amendment and not pretends that beating up a reporter is okay. And, and you know, the, the ones that we, we hear about, Susan Collins, I'm not quite sure after her speech on um, Kavanaugh. Judge Kavanaugh forcefully denied the allegations under penalty of perjury. Although, you know, it made, it made sense. I, yeah, and um, of course, Jeff Flake is gone, isn't he? Well, I don't know. Lisa Murkowski? What about her? But, but I'm not sure. How, how do we overcome this minority who is controlling our country? I, I, I don't know how other than to vote, to speak out, um, to have some discussions at the dinner table, to try and listen to the other side, which I, I try to do, but I, I cannot get anyone to explain to me why they support him other than, you know, some people my age who were my friends and maybe still are, who are, you know, very happy with their 401k and say, you know, it's Donald Trump. I don't know it all, and I, I don't know how to solve things, but um, I sure would like a, a brave person to come forward. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be a Republican. I don't know. So. Hey, Terry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good day and thanks, good luck. Thanks, and, Terry. And vote Democrat. <laughs> So before we get to our next segment, we wanted to tell you about something pretty cool going on in one of our McClatchy newsrooms. Sportsbeat KC is the Kansas City Star's five-day-a-week sports podcast, bringing you episodes on the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and college football and basketball every afternoon, Monday through Friday, in time for your commute. Search for Sportsbeat KC on SoundCloud to listen or subscribe through your favorite podcasting app. Now back to the show. So, Brian, I was really struck by the fact that this doesn't seem like a voter who Republicans are going to win back, certainly before November. Well, after all, she's already voted. But it's not like they're not going to win her back anytime soon either. This is long term. I mean, she's if you if you notice, she didn't just have anger at Kevin Yoder. She also mentioned Pat Roberts, Jerry Moran. So it was across the Republican brand. And, you know. I don't think Roberts or Moran are going to be in any danger, but that does mean that the House races in Kansas, where you do have maybe in one or two districts a little bit more of a level playing field, are actually up for grabs this year. I'm less pessimistic about this. I heard her future of the Republican Party is either Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski. It sounds like she is just one strong female candidate away from being Republican again. <laughs> that that could be could be a Nikki Haley candidacy as the one that brings her back into the fold in 2024 or maybe 2020. Don't know what her positions are in public education. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to Terry and and talk about this this week is there is so much that's unclear about what's going to happen in November. We are truly, as one operative put it to me, in the fog of war stage right now where you could tell me that Democrats fall short in the House and I believe it, or you could tell me that they're still going to win 40 seats and come close in the Senate. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense too. But One thing I do feel like we can say two weeks out from Election Day is that these moderate or even left-leaning, wealthy suburban seats, which have long been, it's like the traditional home of the Republican Party, that that is now hostile territory for the GOP. And that includes, Brian, 
Kansas's third district. Um, we've been talking about Kevin Yoder. Why don't you give us an update about just how much trouble is Yoder in right now? Uh, he's in serious danger. If you look at any public poll, he's trailing. Now, there's some internal GOP polling that shows him a bit closer, but uh, it, it's to the point where he's actually become a tool being used against state legislative candidates. There's moderate Republican state legislative yeah, candidates who are being attacked for being in photographs. That's had some resonance in some of these very down-ballot races. You know, Yoder has to distance himself from Trump, and some of these moderate Republicans are having to distance themselves from Kevin Yoder. I mean, and this, this is a guy who first came up through the Kansas House and before he got elected to the U.S. House, and he was actually a moderate. Uh, one thing I double-checked today, when Kevin Yoder was first elected in 2010, he was actually endorsed by Equality Kansas, which is the leading LGBT rights group in Kansas, because he had a fairly moderate voting record on LGBT rights. Those types of voters who support moderate policies, who maybe were with Kevin Yoder, have really turned against him. And, and one reason is he's had, while he has always had very moderate rhetoric, he has had a very conservative voting record. And so there's become a big backlash. Whereas he was always a guy who could step above the internal conflict in the Kansas Republican Party, where there's been a, a long-standing civil war between moderates and conservatives. Kevin was kind of a guy who could unite everybody. This year, he, it just doesn't seem like he's still able to stay above the fray. Well, let me, let me ask you, Brian, because when congressmen like this are headed for defeat, and we don't know if he's going to lose or not yet, but like you said, it does not look good. People start to play the blame game. Is any of that happening on the ground in Kansas 3, are fingers being pointed at Kevin Yoder or fingers being pointed maybe at Donald Trump too? President Trump tweeted this, quote, Chris Kobach, a strong and early supporter of mine, is running for governor of the great state of Kansas. He is a fantastic guy who loves his state and our country. He will be a great governor and has my... Uh, fingers are definitely being pointed at Donald Trump and at Chris Kobach, the the very divisive uh, nominee for governor. I mean, he's Kobach is a very hardline Republican who is not popular in this much more moderate district. This is really the seat of moderate Republican power in Kansas. The fact that you have Kobach at the top of the ballot, the fact that you have Trump in the headlines. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? That's not very good for Kevin Yoder. So there's certainly people who are pointing about the fact that Kevin Yoder could run a perfect race. And there's some people who argue, who would argue that he, he has, and there's some people who will say he hasn't, but that he could run a perfect race and still lose, that, it, that there's kind of these national dynamics. And I, I will tell you from the, the hate mail I get from both sides of the aisle this time of year, it's going to be my fault, <laughs> whichever, whichever happens. That was my next question, Brian, was whether or not you were prepared to apologize for your, your, your role in all this. I regret nothing. Well, so we talk about this race kind of as a microcosm, but there are some other things in Kansas, right, that make this race sort of like uh, they're a little bit ahead of the curve there. They've, they've experienced what massive tax cuts can do in Kansas. I think that's one of the more interesting things that you've mentioned to me lately. One thing, one thing we've heard from Republican strategists months ago, and I, I think it's, it's one reason why you haven't seen Yoder push the Trump tax cuts too hard, although I think it, it was never really an issue that was resonating in Kansas because people have a lot of heartburn over Brownback's tax cuts. I think everybody knew that Brownback screwed up when he did this deal in the beginning. Where were they and, you know, 
she actually mentioned that. I mean, she mentioned the state budget problems, which have actually largely been resolved because the legislature overrode former Governor Brownbeck's they overrode his veto to repeal some of that. So the state's actually a much better financial footing than it was. But people still have in their uh, memory, you know, the the several years of a budget crisis that Kansas went through, which was directly linked to these tax cuts. It's really kind of tarnished the entire idea of tax cuts. So Kevin Yoder can't really run on tax cuts. He's had difficulty running on immigration because he's tried to find a middle ground between the hardline Kobach. Trump stance. The vast majority of illegal aliens are, are consuming welfare programs, whether it be Medicaid, whether it be food stamps, school lunches, they're consuming so much welfare. And the more progressive stance on immigration. So he's not really find, found the right tune. And he's also, he's struggling on health care too. Right. And, and national security has just somehow disappeared entirely from the uh, political landscape this cycle. You know, it seems like this is obviously a problem that maybe is is especially acute for the GOP in Kansas. Um, but if you look at the whole map in 2018, you see plenty of places where su- suburbs similar to Kansas 3 that seem to be slipping away from the GOP. Um, you know, examples, Colorado 6, Mike Kaufman, Barbara Comstock and Virginia 10, most all of Orange County in California. These are all races that we've talked about on this show before. And the state of it seems to be, I mean, the, the NRCC moved out of Colorado 6, as a matter of fact, um, which is Mike Kaufman, who survived many tough reelection battles before, even though his area is more Democratic, voters on the ground in these suburbs, you know, like Terry, just so, don't seem to be willing to tolerate their own Republican incumbents voting or, or sounding like Donald Trump anymore, or just belonging to the Republican Party in, in any way. And maybe more importantly, like white suburbs are the place where the change is happening the most. If you look at the, the targeted races in Texas, you got the race that uh, Will Hurd's district with the like 66, 70 percent Hispanic vote that is looking the worst for Democrats right now. The places that are looking really good for Republicans are Pete Sessions and John Culberson in the Dallas and Houston areas. You know, so Brian, Republicans are trying to make this argument that basically Democrats aren't like you. But again, in the suburbs in Kansas, that just doesn't seem to be working right now. I mean, one thing that we really can't overlook in this race between Yoder and Davids is the fact that, you know, Kansas, which is not particularly seen as a strong state on LGBT rights, is poised to elect its first openly gay member uh, to Congress. It's also poised to elect the first Native American woman to Congress. So this is actually, if part of the 2016 was this white identity politics backlash, it's kind of gone the other way. Where you see in a district like this, this is a case where Sharice David's background has probably been an asset in this race, um, or at least has been something that people... Their counter-argument is that she's too extreme, but you have a pro-life voter who's excited about diversity and excited about somebody different. That seems like it would be a problem for Republicans right now. If you hear that sound, it means it's time for the lightning round. And Brian, the rules have changed a little bit since you were last on the program. You now get 30 seconds to say what you want to say. You will be timed. I'm going to be honest with you, man. You're going first. So no pressure. Ready, set, go. 
Uh, there's an FEC complaint that just got filed against uh, Missouri Attorney General Josh Hawley, Claire McCaskill's um, opponent in the high-stakes Missouri Senate race. It alleges illegal coordination between Hawley's campaign and the National Rifle Association. That's one thing that uh, McClatchy and the Kansas City Star are looking into today. Brian, that was excellent. And you also did that in 20 seconds. I think that's a that's like a land speed record here for the lightning round. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, right. Andrew, Alex, Andrew, are you? No, I'm timing you next. Oh, I'm, I'm going next? Okay, it appears I am up next. Are you timing me, Andrea? Of course I am. All right, I wrote a couple months ago about some new software that had been adopted across Democratic campaigns. It's called Mobilize America, and it basically keeps track of all the volunteer hours um, that campaigns are, are receiving. Um, and amid all this Democratic enthusiasm, I thought it was worth checking out because there was new data released just Tuesday. 233,956 volunteers have knocked on doors or made calls for progressive groups and Democratic candidates across 450 campaigns. That's an incredible number, and it really puts a, 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 a specific number on just how much Democratic enthusiasm there has been. Um, it's really an asset, especially in a lot of these close house races. Did I go over? How badly did I go over? Well, loan you a couple seconds off of Brian's time, I guess. I think I think that's only appropriate, Brian. Again, thank you for donating your time to me. That was that was terrific. Okay, Andrea, you're up. You have only thirty seconds. We will be monitoring you to the tenth of the second. No pressure. Ready, set. I would like to use mine to talk about a story that my colleague Diane in Fort Worth wrote about a a very sleepy race for the State Board of Education along the lines of our public education talk today. Um, These folks represent 1.8 million Texans, and the two candidates in the district that she's talking about have raised less than $10,000 each. And these are the folks who are going through and picking uh, who's in the history books in Texas. This is like hot-button political red meat, but for one of the least-watched races in the state. Wow, you got it at 29.78 seconds, Andrea. That was that was incredible. That was but it doesn't really do the story justice. Go find it on <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Brian, you, you put in a full shift on the show today. We really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. I got to go write that Holly story. <laughs> Bye. Andrea, see you next week. Let's do it. That's uh, not the right word. <laughs> thank you to producer Jordan Marie Smith. And thank you, our listeners. We want to hear from you. So please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyondthebubblepod. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground states. We might even ask you to call into the show. And check us out on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. We want to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review or a rating. Talk Talk to to you you next week. week.